Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, as the price of food climbs, so does the need for assistance. Food stamp enrollment is reaching a record high in the area. Researchers are also studying predominantly black neighborhoods here to find the link between structural racism and dementia. And local restaurants are trying some old tricks from the start of the pandemic to bring in more business. It's Friday, March 25th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. You know, I'm actually in another city right now. I'm in D.C., but I'm still keeping up with what's happening in Pittsburgh. Uh, but senior producer Megan Harris and newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco are back in the Berg and ready to tell me what's going on. So thanks for holding down the fort, y'all. You're welcome, Morgan. How's D.C.? Are you having the best time? It's it's dreary. It's raining, so it feels like Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Not much different Not much here. Different. I don't know. The sun's shining out my window. I don't know what's going on with y'all. No, it's dreary. It's peeking here, through yeah. the clouds. That's beautiful. Yeah, but Morgan, you're in D.C. to celebrate the launch of your other podcast project with Damon Young. Um, listeners would have heard about that earlier this week. How was the party? The party was great. You know, I'm not much of a party animal anymore. I uh, had to break my Lenten promise to Jesus and drink a red-eye coffee (laughs) last night to try to stay up. But it was a really cool hotel. It's the Eaton Hotel in D.C., um, it's black owned, which I've, you know, that's, that's I'm, badass. I know I've never even like very, very cool. cool. And it's, it's got like, they've got great music in there. They've got, um, actually a picture of the, uh, Negro league teams, the Pittsburgh Crawfords. It was really cool from 1932. Oh, so neat. Yeah. Taste of home. Yeah. That's fun. Very cool. You should be really proud of yourself, Morgan. I know that you've been working on this project for a while, and I'm excited to to listen to the other podcasts too. Yes. We, we're so lucky we get to have you on the mic here every day, but it'll be fun to hear, you know, a little bit more about your work behind the scenes on that. Yeah. Please listen. Please support. Go give it five stars, you know, all the, all the things, but it's a great podcast. So thank you so much. Now back to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about like what's happening in the news. I found this story. And thought it was pretty interesting, so I just kind of wanted to bring it up. But there is a study that's going to be following residents of um, Homewood and the Hill District to study how structural racism impacts dementia, can wow. lead to dementia, yeah, and, and Alzheimer's as well. So so epidemiologists, and if you don't know, they, they study kind of like the risk factors that lead to diseases at the Rand Corporation and Pitt received a really big grant, $9.6 million uh, from the National Institute of Health to follow like 1,100 participants over the next five years. Are all those participants in Pittsburgh? Yeah, all of those participants are from Pittsburgh. They're, you know, from those two neighborhoods, Homewood and the Hill District. And it's been kind of a continuation of a study. So they've been following maybe some family members of these people that they're now, you know, going to be following. They're not quite of the retirement age, but maybe a little bit earlier than that because there's factors that can be present earlier in life that lead to... Memory loss, dementia. Yeah, yeah. What sort of risks are they looking for in this study? Yeah, so, you know, there's things that 
obviously play a role, like I said, like, you know, genetics. That's off top. If it runs in your family, there's a likelihood that you could develop that sort of, you know, cognitive disease. But also, you know, environment is a huge thing. So they're looking at things like, you know, sleep quality. If you live in a neighborhood where you're, you know, there's a lot of lights or there's a lot of noise pollution, like that impacts, you know, your mental health and and the health of your brain. Shout out to yesterday's episode. Shout out to yesterday's episode, Dark Skies, Turn Off Your Lights. Uh. You know, actually, we had to cut a piece for time, but she had this whole discussion about light equity and this idea that, like, equity means more is, like, totally flawed. I would love to have her back for another day to talk about that. Yeah. So they're looking at these two neighborhoods. They're looking at the Hill District and Homewood because – While they are both, you know, Pittsburgh's a smaller city, but there's, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods and pockets all over. Yeah. But these two places have a different history, you know, so where the Hill District was, you know, the site of urban renewal in the 60s and and gentrification now at one point kind of like a pocket for, you know, immigrants from all over the world that migrated from the south. Yeah, right. And then Homewood's totally different. I mean, Homewood is on what I feel like the the precipice of uh, gentrification. Like it's it's not quite happening yet. There's pockets of of that neighborhood that you can tell are are you know because they're so so very close to like you know the busway and things like that. Well, Bakery Square and Point Breeze and East Liberty and all of the stuff that is like right on its doorstep, but not quite into it yet. Yeah, I could see, I can see Homewood looking very different in the next, you know, seven to ten years. So I can imagine five years later doing this experiment even, you know, or doing this research that that neighborhood is going to look vastly different. So seeing how those changes are impacting people's health, you know, the, the threat of being displaced. I think the study will be really important in revealing. Um, I just brought up some numbers here while we're talking. You know, we have a pretty large older population here in Western Pennsylvania. And the stats I'm looking at right now, um, in Pennsylvania, an estimated 280,000 residents aged 65 and older are living with Alzheimer's. Um, and that number is expected to grow by 320,000 by 2025. Yeah, you know, as we all continue to get older, hopefully, you know, we're exposed (laughs) to more stress, more trauma, you know, more life. So um, and one thing, too, that impacts our mental health and and cognitive abilities is our is our diet and what we eat. So Francesca, what's what's going on with the food stamp program? Yeah, you're right about that, Morgan. Um, Access to fresh produce definitely has an effect on that. And right now, Pennsylvania's food stamp enrollment has been steadily increasing in recent months. It's now approaching levels that uh, are nearing the pandemic peak. So these numbers haven't been seen since 2020. I'll give you the exact numbers. More than 1,891,000 Pennsylvanians are now enrolled in the program. That's roughly 140,000 more people than March of 2020. Wow. Why are so many people looking to get food assistance right now? I mean, I can think of a lot of reasons, right? I can use it. But the the pandemic (laughs) has been really hard for a lot of us. It has. It has. And, you know, despite the fact that we are in better days than maybe we were in 2020. Depending on your privilege, of course. Right. 
right? That does not mean that these issues are not lingering. Um, And a lot of our neighbors are hungry. So advocates and state officials said that they really can't point to one specific factor. Just like you said, there's a lot of reasons. So um, one of them could be the increasing food prices. You know, they might be pushing people who were already eligible to apply to you know, get the get that assistance. And there's also pandemic era roles that have, you know, eased some of the paperwork requirements, which has made it a little bit easier for people to enroll in the program, which is a good thing. The paperwork for this stuff is absolutely nuts. And it you have to do individual paperwork for every single social service. So like if you want rental assistance, if you want food stamps, if you want WIC, there's so much paperwork. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they make it they make it pretty difficult for you to qualify for uh, this assistance. The qualification actually isn't that hard. It's the it's the putting pen to paper and showing up for interviews and like finding childcare or a ride or whatever. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. 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 For people that, you know, have a job or trying to hold down multiple jobs just in order to, you know, feed their family as is that kind of, you really have to like take off of work. Right. Yeah. You know, there's been a discussion for years about streamlining some of that paperwork into like one universal application and you fill it out. And if you qualify for these seven things out of, you know, say, of cadre of 12 then the state would help you do it of course that hasn't god gone for, god forbid of course god that hasn't gone anywhere but there are wonderful people in our community advocating for it yeah for sure um so you know if you are in need of food assistance or are looking for ways to help your hungry neighbors um there are a lot of really great community organizations that you can support um there's the light of life rescue mission on the north side there's also food pantries on the north side in squirrel hill Oakland, Millville, I think there's the, uh, it's in the south side is the Henry Kaufman Center. Um, And then there's a handful of churches that do food distribution days. And then another really great nonprofit doing good work in the community is 412 Food Rescue. They partner with food retailers and volunteers who connect surplus food with individuals and families who are experiencing food insecurity. So um, I think, you know, this is just a good reminder that while Like I said, we aren't maybe in the hardest days of the pandemic anymore. Economic recovery from the pandemic is really reaching low-income people more slowly. And these circumstances are still incredibly stressful. And we've got to look out for our neighbors. So that's how the lingering effects of the pandemic that we are still very much so in is impacting at least individuals and families. But Megan, how is it impacting businesses around the area? Well, I'm going to focus on a, a niche business, perhaps. But restaurants are still advocating with the government to be able to sell to-go cocktails. And I, a pair of legislators have proposed a bill in the Pennsylvania House to make it permanent. Not the first time that's happened. It did not go anywhere last year. Um, the Senate added a fun amendment where what they call ready-to-drink cans would be part of the to-go cocktail. So like, you know, those pre-mix things that you can get at the fine wine and good spirits, those were part of the legislation. And that was where Wolf stepped back and he was like, no, absolutely not. I was with you until then. A little too much fun. (laughs) Yeah. A little too much fun to go. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) they've pulled back on that language. And now it's, uh, I think, quote unquote, homemade is what's being allowed. So like prepared beverages and mixed drinks available for off premises consumption that was booming when the pandemic first Mm -hmm. started people 
you know, I, was, I remember oh, yeah. going to the gas station and seeing people, you know, leave with these styrofoam cups constantly. But why did they, why did they stop doing it? Yeah, one of my primary activities, back, gosh, summer <laughs> of 2020, to see other humans was to actually go down to Lawrenceville, grab a couple of cocktails from the Abbey, and then go walk around the cemetery with friends across the street. And then when we got like, we'd do a lap, we'd finish our beverage, we'd fill it up with water, drink that on the way back, and then get another cocktail and head back to the cemetery. It was great. That's actually adorable. It was very good, clean fun. <laughs> But yeah, so that only lasted from like the summer of 2020 to I think it ended in June of last year. Um, and it was part of that emergency declaration the governor had put out that did. <laughs> Wait. What? I just think it's really funny that <laughs> it's under an emergency declaration. And it's like emergency. We, we must get our to-go cocktail. <laughs> Don't you remember when they declared beer as like an essential yeah. item? That, liquor stores were like the first thing that opened up when like two weeks after like the start of the pandemic it was like all right we might be at home but we can't be without alcohol <laughs> they were also the first thing that closed down god do y'all remember with the uh um the run on the liquor stores for a while yeah and all of it was because the distribution warehouse where like the fine wine and good spirits like i don't know if you're familiar with pennsylvania is like worldwide the largest buyer of alcohol there is period i've heard that because we buy as a centralized system and no other state or country does it that way. It's just it's kind of wild when you think about it, like our the amount we spend on booze. Hmm. But it's because it comes into like central warehouses and then gets shipped out to all the fine wine and good spirits. Yeah. Well, one of those main warehouses is in Montgomery County, and they were one of the first ones hit by the pandemic. What's that? That's out near Philly. Yeah. And which is just outside of New York City, which is mm -hmm. why everything went down the way it did. Um, so the fine wine and good spirits, like all of their stores were like. I think they announced it on like a Thursday or a Friday. We're going to close on Tuesday. Like at this time, we're closing. I went to my local store around the corner in Westview and <laughs> there was a line that goes like clear. Or it was like one of those little shopping centers. It went all the way down one whole side, wrapped clear to the Giant Eagle and then down to a beer distributor. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> they're only allowing two or three people in the store at a time. That's pretty nuts. Man, the Commonwealth is thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> Forever thirsty. <laughs> Yes. You know, I can see people on their boats. Uh, well, the people that have the privilege of being on a boat, I haven't. Yeah, you know. <laughs> if, if any boat people want to invite us, on if the anybody, boat. if anybody wants to invite me on your boat, we'll do a podcast from your boat. Citycast cruise, <laughs> please. <laughs> Citycast cruise, we need one. That's probably on the Gateway Clipper. Um, but yeah, so what's up around the corner? When will we know if this is a thing that people can have again anytime soon? It kind of seems like that's a great way to bring some business back to some, you know, of these restaurants. But yeah, I mean, Republican lawmakers absolutely think so. They've been trying to privatize our like public sales system for years and years. It seems like without that, you know, one amendment, Wolf might be um, supportive of this and pass it as well. So I think it's just going to be up to our legislature, as always, to decide whether this is a thing that they want. But one thing to look out for, too though is I don't know if you guys remember but two years ago the laws about open container were pretty murky so like yes you could buy it and walk away but then but you what, had to keep that little sticker on the top. <laughs> but did you? Like, I've oh. heard so many people be like, did I have to keep the sticker? Do I actually need the lid? Like, can I walk around a city park? Can I drive with it? Technically, I think by the state regulation, you were supposed to drive with it in your trunk if you were going to drive <laughs> with the pre-made cocktail. But like, who did that? Spilling it around in your trunk? Who's going to do that? <laughs> exactly. When you have cup holders right in the front. Right. So this law does nothing to consider open container law. So one would think that if this is passed, which restaurants 
restaurants are a lot of restaurants have said openly that they're very much in favor of it really helped them during the pandemic they'd love to bring it back now um yeah the local uh, officials would have to then figure out okay so if we're gonna have this what does it mean for us how do we keep people safe you know i lived in a state that had a very loose open container law uh in a vehicle it was connecticut and if hmm. you had a passenger you could have an open container in your car. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in even in Pittsburgh, like, you know, we've talked about having like an entertainment district or something, you know, kind of modeled on the idea of like a Bourbon Street in New Orleans or a Beale Street in Memphis or uh, downtown Louisville has an area like that. And so like allowing open container in places like that. But this takes it kind of to the next level. And I don't know, after seeing how people treated it in the pandemic, it didn't really seem like anything got too crazy. We, yeah, I don't know. My thoughts are people don't know how to behave. That's I, true. You know, right. <laughs> especially when warmer weather hits. Like, I just can see that being, because first of all, I see it being the cultural district. Please don't bring that downtown. I don't need the noise pollution like of drunk, of any more drunk people in my alley than there already are on a daily basis. Morgan vetoes. Morgan's not into it. <laughs> I disagree. I don't think it would be just one street, one main way. I think given the Commonwealth's love for booze, <laughs> I think it would be all across Pittsburgh. I could I could see it. I could see it being like the culture district. I could see it being Butler Street. Market Square is like one, the South Side. Ooh. It's it's the Wild West down there. So I feel like anything goes yeah. on the South Side. It's open container. It's open open mess it's open season in the south side south side is what they talked about being like our uh, entertainment district for a while but that was before all the shootings yeah i was gonna say it's already like unofficially open container in the yeah. south side yeah <laughs> you tell that to the mounted police <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our lead producer is Matt Stroud. Megan Harris is our senior producer. Our newsletter writer is Francesca DeBecco. And I'm your host, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji, of course. And make sure you subscribe to our morning newsletter and have a great weekend. And also, please be careful if you make any roadies. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. See you then. We own the mic.